You wanted to see me, Miss Swinton? Have you been hearing about the new government modernization efforts? AI, RPAs, data science. Things are changing at this agency, and people will need new skills. Oh. I'd like you to get some training. Huh. Look at this management concepts catalog. Wow, over 275 courses. That's right, in local classrooms or instructor-led online classes. We still have budget in this fiscal year, so sign up online. Advance your career with courses from Management Concepts. Get a catalog at managementconcepts.com or call 833-578-8466. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everybody and welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me. Tonight I would like to share with you the reports collected and saved by one of what I believe to be this subject's greatest female researcher. Bobby Shaw of Bigfoot Encounters was an inspiration for me back in the day when Bigfoot was a very male-dominated subject. Bobby pushed the boundaries and enabled me and many others to share our story with the world regardless of where we lived and she championed female researchers and investigators. Sadly, Bobby passed away in 2013, but her reputation, her legacy, and her huge collection of data will no doubt still be of importance after you and I have left this plane. Bobby collated a huge collection of not only sighting reports, but also investigated many cases herself and collated a lot of evidence finds. Now, through Bobby, people were able to share their truth. And as each person does that, it enables others to come forward. So sit back and relax while I share those stories with you. And our first story tonight is called, It Was Big and It Was Standing Over the Tent. And this comes from Jess Smith in Arizona. Two friends and I had travelled to the Huacha Mountains of Cochise County for some hiking and camping. We were limited on where we could go that year due to extensive wildfires. Having been blocked from going up Car Canyon, we had to drive further down to Miller Canyon, where we were able to get off the beaten path for a bit of sleep. The three of us slept in a small dome tent that we pitched about 20 yards off the dirt road. We did not see another car up on the road or anywhere else that night. I awoke in the middle of the night to my friend sitting up in his sleeping bag yelling. The ceiling of our tent was mesh and you could look through and see the night sky. When his yelling awoke me, I asked him what was going on and he told me that he just saw a Bigfoot. I kind of smiled, but I could see the grave look on his face. I spoke to him about him recently and he said, Dude, I saw it. I know what I saw and I still remember it. I wasn't dreaming. It's just as vivid as when it happened. 
I looked up through the tent and I saw its face looking at me. The moon was bright and behind where it was standing and that made it hard to distinguish any facial features but I could see a perfect silhouette. Its head was pretty long and it didn't really have a neck. Its head seemed to just merge with its shoulders and it was big, at least eight feet tall. And it was standing over the tent like it was leaning forward and looking through the moonroof netting. He said, I could see what looked like the white of its eyes. And we stared at each other for at least 30 seconds and then it was gone. Jeff said, when the Sasquatch moved away, my friend yelled in fright. We did not attempt to leave the tent or go in pursuit of it. I have 100% trust in my friend. We joke around quite often, but I can attest that this is not something that he would joke about. I believe his account to be authentic. I myself have been hiking in the Wasatch Mountains of Utah and had the distinct impression, almost tangible, that I was being observed. The feeling caused me to stop and look around, but I saw nothing. The feeling persisted, so I started to sting while I was walking. I've been alone in the woods before, but this feeling was unique. I was bushwhacking through an aspen grove at the time in an area which I am now aware of has been something of a hot spot for Bigfoot sightings. I've since learned that this feeling of being watched is a common occurrence that often precedes a sighting. If I'd known this then, I would have been more vigilant. Jeff. When Jeff mentioned he was in the Wasatch Mountains, I realised I knew of a report that happened not too far away, just shy of Bear Lake, and it was a chap named Eric Dunes, and he had an experience with a Bigfoot-like creature. And Eric said, I live in Mountain Home, Idaho, and I'd been an avid outdoorsman my entire life. I've seen a lot of things while hunting and fishing and camping, but I've never seen anything like the creature I saw on the north side of Bear Lake on Saturday afternoon, 28th of July, 2018. On that day, I saw a huge, dark, blurry figure cross my path at a rapid rate of speed and then it disappeared within seconds. It made no noises. It didn't hesitate, even though I, along with my camping gear, was right there close to the path. And as I sat there in shock and in fear, watching what I always believed to be a myth, I understood and I now know that the legend of Sasquatch is not only real, but it is also really living here, right here in Idaho. Now, as we know, Idaho does have a large number of Bigfoot and Sasquatch reports, and they have been reported since around about the 1800s. But to be honest, after 40 years of research, I realise that every state in the US and Canada has numerous reports of these creatures or creatures like them. You can randomly pick a state on a map, add Bigfoot, and a host of reports will pop up for you on Google. Try it. Now, I have never travelled to America. I've not been that fortunate. But even here in the UK, we know the word squatcher, and we know that what that means about an area. And I would say that Washington State is a very prime example of that. In 2001, a chap who owned a bait-and-tackle store was annoyed by Sasquatch on the Kalama River. And he said, up until last year, I owned a bait and tackle store on the Kalama River. 
I guess I'd have to say that there were some strange things happening to several of my customers who would fish directly upstream from my store at a hole known as Beginner's Hole. For instance, one of my customers, Steve, and his girlfriend, Tasha, arrived on the river a couple of hours early, before daylight, and they decided to get some rest in their car before the usual crowd arrived. They laid back their seats, and they backed up, and they turned on the radio. When all of a sudden, something hit the driver's side window, with enough force to almost break the glass. Steve later told me that he thought it must have been a rock of a considerable size as it shook the whole car. He immediately started the car, turned on his lights, only to find nobody could be seen in the large parking area. And Tasha was so shook up by what had happened that she made him leave and spend the rest of the night parked under the lights of my store. I guess I really didn't think too much of it until approximately a week or so later. It's about 9.30pm and I'm locking up for the night. And I'm startled by someone frantically pounding on my store door, only to open it and find this very scared fisherman who said that he'd seen a Bigfoot within a block of the store and it was just standing at them on the riverbank, looking at him walk by, and it was on the road, about 75 feet away. It was late May or early June 2001, so it just gotten dark. I can't remember ever seeing a grown man so afraid of a wild animal in my life. Jason was really scared at that moment, you could tell. He just kept saying that he'd just witnessed Bigfoot and to stay inside for fear that he was going to get us. I grabbed a flashlight and I tried to talk him into showing me where he'd seen it, but he refused to go outside because he said it must have been at least seven feet tall. A week or so later, I went up to Beginner's Hole about 10.30pm with a guy called Travis to do some glow balling for summer-run steelhead salmon as I had for many years in the past when it started to get warmer and the fish seemed to get more active. We pulled into the parking area and I ran over the bank so I could get the first cast because it was usually payday and Travis stood in front of the headlights still rigging his pole. I'd taken several casts and with no luck and I noticed the fish downriver in the deep hole were jumping like I'd never seen before. I climbed up on the bank because Travis was just finishing and I told him to come on. We were going to walk down and see what was going on. Travis was located 50 feet below me behind a large bush when I heard a loud splash from his direction. Thinking he must have fallen in, I yelled to see if he was all right. When to my surprise, we were face to face and he was yelling at me to run in a very panicked voice. I wasted no time following up the bank because it must have been something pretty serious to scare Travis. He's over six feet tall, weighs about 220 pounds. As we climbed in the car, he was yelling something about a giant ape-like figure that had porpoised under the water and then came back out and jumped on land. Whatever it was, it must have been very large, judging by the sound that I heard and seeing that Travis was very wet from the splash that he had made. I guess that's when I started believing that maybe Bigfoot was real. Being very knowledgeable of the river and the fish runs, I came to the conclusion 
They combine with the fun. You wanted to see me, Miss Swinton? Have you been hearing about the new government modernization efforts? AI, RPAs, data science. Things are changing at this agency, and people will need new skills. Oh. I'd like you to get some training. Huh. Look at this management concepts catalog. Wow, over 275 courses. That's right, in local classrooms or instructor-led online classes. We still have budget in this fiscal year, so sign up online. Advance your career with courses from Management Concepts. Get a catalog at managementconcepts.com or call 833-578-8466. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That for the, at least the last few years, the woods have been closed to the public 90% of the season. And that the summer-run steelhead were being let go out of the lower hatchery. And almost all of them were stopping at Beginner's Hole because that's where they'd been released. And maybe it had come down from the river looking for food and quite possibly had found steelhead paradise. It took several days before I or Travis found the nerve to venture back up there. But the thought of those fish made us finally give in to our fear. What a mistake. Arriving at the hole, as usual, I ran over the bank to get the first cast and Travis, as usual, stood rigging his pole in front of the car. As I started to cast, I felt very uneasy and I continued looking up and down the river, trying to see in the darkness why. Directly across the river from me, I heard a baseball-sized rock hit the water a few feet off the far bank. I strained my eyes to see what had been thrown, thinking that after telling several of my customers of the early incident, that maybe someone was playing a trick or something like that. And that's when I heard it. A low, deep moan. A sound that turned into a high-pitched scream. I'd been in those woods enough to know that there is no animal that could possibly make that noise uh, that I just heard, and it was not a customer. As I screamed for Travis, I felt reassured to see him already coming over the bank, asking what the hell had made that noise. He couldn't even finish his sentence before that sound let loose again. It seemed to be on the opposite shore, running directly away from us at speed. I have never seen an animal run like that before. It almost seemed like a bird. It was going so fast through the trees, directly away from us up the hill. It had seemed like seconds before this thing reached the top of the hill, maybe an eighth of a mile away, and it remained there for several minutes, making a noise that had every hair on your body standing on end. And then, as quick as it started, it stopped. And we found ourselves climbing into the car, 
speeding for the safety of my store, where we sat up all night going over and over what we just heard. It wasn't until a couple of weeks later that I was forced into going back there again because I'm a licensed fishing guide and the only one who does nighttime drift boat trips down the river. Seeing that I had two paying customers, one a young man in his late 20s from Iowa, and the other is a regular customer who also owns a house on the river, I felt obliged to do my best to get them fish. And as scary as it may seem, I knew that Beginner's Hole was the spot I needed to take them to. I launched the boat directly into Beginner's Hole at about 10.30pm. I planned to take about a two-mile trip downstream, hoping to get a quick fish or two out of the hole and then get the hell out of there, but the fish just weren't going for it. Every time I suggested that we head on down, I was cut off by the local homeowner, telling me that we were in the hot spot and he wanted to try for longer uh, and to quit being a baby and that there was no such thing as Bigfoot. He too had heard the rumours going around about what I'd seen. And as he teased me, it got the Iowa guy asking all kinds of questions because that was the first that he'd heard of a monster that lived at Beginner's Hole. I tried to avoid the whole thing as best I could, but he wasn't about to leave it alone and he taught me into telling my story. I was almost finished reciting the month's events when something happened that I will never in all of my life forget. All of a sudden, the pole that I was holding almost got ripped from my hands and I yelled, fish on, or so I thought. It took but seconds to realise that something was not right by the way that it was pulling. It felt like I had hooked into a ball of hay that floated by in a heavy current, but you could tell it, it was alive. The Iowa guy was screaming for me to give him the rod because that was to be the first steelhead ever, and he took the rod from my hands. And as I stood there in my drift boat, watching the line slowly peel off the reel, I couldn't help but feel confused about what could possibly be attached to the other end, when it stood up in the middle of the river, 30 feet below my boat, and it seemed by the glowing carkies and sand shrimps, it's a creature that was hooked in the left shoulder and not at all comfortable with the whole situation. Nor were either of the two gentlemen in the front of my boat. The Iowa guy was shouting something about it being a dead body, and I can't recall a local man saying anything at all. The river was about four and a half feet deep where it was, and it seemed to me in the moonlight to be standing waist deep, and it was slowly swinging its arms as if trying to get free from the law. And as I pulled my anchor and tried to stay my distance, the Iowa guy was pulling for all he was worth. I was using a 30 pound line and there wasn't much chance of it breaking. Maybe three minutes passed or so, it seemed like, before it finally freed itself and it dove under the water, never to be seen again. Just a wake of water heading downstream into a deep hole. And as far as I could tell, it never came up for a breath and at least a hundred yards till it rounded the bend and got out of our sight. To this day, I have not fished at Beginner's Hole again, and I am no longer a guide. I mainly stay at home and work on computers. What happened to me on that river will stay with me for the rest of my life, and I'm sure that all of this sounds pretty strange, 
but I will tell anyone who wants to know the names of every person involved and would gladly take them to the place and show them. I'm almost certain that if someone were to spend next spring and summer at Beginner's Hole between the hours of 10 and 4, it will quite possibly change the way that you view Bigfoot for the rest of your life. While searching online to find any reports that I could find at Beginner's Hole, I did find the usual hundreds of Mickey-taking comments and jibes. But within all of that were some genuine witnesses, and they were reporting their experience. And one of them was a gentleman who wanted to report something he saw in Conway, Washington. And this is titled, A Hair-Raising Screen, Crack Bones and Marrow. Our witness said, While I have never seen or witnessed anything on or near the Kalama River, the guy's account of events that you shared, and then the sound that he heard described sent chills down my neck as I relived a similar tale from 81-82. I was hunting from a tree farm near Conway, Washington with my cousin, and the sounds my cousin and I heard were a low growl that turned into a gut-wrenching, spine-tingling, hair-raising scream. It was real enough for me as we were so damn close to it. Fear is all we could muster. It was no animal, I know that. I couldn't identify the sound and it was not a noise that a cat or a bear, etc. could possibly make. It wasn't coyotes or a wolf. It was real enough that we left the area immediately, even though we were armed. My father and I had an encounter when we were hunting close to Camp 18 off Hamilton, Washington in November of 82. I was 19 was on my first elk hunt with my dad. And after travelling as far as the roads would allow, we headed out on foot. After an hour or three, we came into old timber grove, about six foot, bit big in diameter. And there was lots of broken boughs which littered the area for several feet deep. As we looked around the area, we found some strange looking rocks that turned out to be rock solid, misshapen balls of dry pitch. And we collected them. 30 minutes later, we came into a small natural clearing and began to encounter a very deep, musky, damp, gamey odour. And while we continued in, my dad stumbled across what appeared to be the carcass of a deer that had been fed off extensively. And under close investigation, we found the large leg bones broken and missing was the marrow. One of the bones was showing a small clean stick twig had been inserted into it. Dad pulled it out and he had a look as if it had been pushed in to the area several times, showing some wear marks on it. And it could possibly be a tool for just that, eating the marrow. The odour was not of rotting flesh, but definitely that which makes your hair stand on end and you know there is an animal somewhere nearby. We decided to leave the area calmly, all the while looking for signs of anything. My dad, who wears a size 13 triple D, came across three footprints. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Leftovers. Or. The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the soft soil. He placed his boot into the outline of one. And the impression there was easily two inches in circumference around the boot. We calmly made a hasteful exit from the area and back to our truck. And we contacted the wildlife station on Highway 20 that leads back to town with our account. We never went back out there. And it doesn't matter if people believe me. I will never forget it and those prints. And that's all that matters. If I had a stick for every time I heard the saying, I don't care if people don't believe me, I know what I saw. I could build a log cabin and retire to the woods. All across the world, people are seeing and experiencing the creatures we know as Bigfoot or Sasquatch. The reports go back centuries, and most indigenous tribes have a legend or law that features the hairy ones. Even here in the UK, we have strange tales of woodwoofs and hairy wild men who protect the land, steal food, and sometimes the odd maiden. We even have our own Serafina Long story, where a young maiden is taken to Yellowham Forest, and she returns bearing a hair-covered child. I've taken reports from Australia, Brazil, Japan and Russia. The European countries have a mass of stories, as do China and India. The only thing that differs is the names that we call them. The descriptions are pretty much the same. A tall, hair-covered creature that resembles a man and an ape in facial and body features. So whether you're in Idaho or Islington, You don't have to go far to find a report close to your home. One of my favourite reports comes from the Slave Lake area and it was told to me by my witness friend Aunt Randy. Randy saw a Sasquatch and a moose battle to the end on a hunting trip alone. He too was armed, but he felt that his weapon would be useless against the creature that he saw. He's hunted and been a bear guide for decades. Yet the creature he saw was no bear, he said. On another occasion, I spoke with Joe, who had an experience with a creature at Bumblebee Campground when he was camping with his wife. The creature he saw tried to take his dogs, and Joe is convinced that the dogs were being hunted that night. Joe also told me it didn't matter that he was armed. He felt that he would have taken a bazooka to take that creature down. And he too stated he didn't care what people thought, Eventually, the need for answers far outweighs the fear of ridicule. In our next case tonight, we go to Edwards Air Force Base, situated in California, where a man Jutta encountered a creature that he will never forget. In the spring of 1974, Edwards Security Policeman Sergeant Michael House was on night patrol on the outskirts of the powerful communication site, which maintained radio contact with other military installations around the globe. Sergeant House was patrolling in the area of the abandoned sled track, once used for testing G-forces, when he saw it. 
and here's the report in his own words. Sergeant House said, I'd gotten a new spotlight and I was trying it out. I'm heading back to the main base and I notice maybe 200, 300 yards to my left, these large blue eyes. I do a lot of night hunting and I found it strange. The eyes were larger than anything I'd seen before. The diameter had to be about four inches apart and seven feet off the ground. I stopped the truck and I sat there watching them. It was too dark to see any body shape to this thing. The blue glows came towards my truck at a right angle for about a hundred yards and then they stopped. The hair bristled on the back of my neck as these larger than human eyes began circling and again moving closer to the vehicle. A rank smell like something rotten permeated the air. The thing moved closer again, now coming within 50 yards of the truck. But still, its shape could not be discerned through the bush in the desert. Just at that moment, the truck radio advised Sergeant House that he should proceed directly back to the main base, and he quickly left the area. He did, however, return three hours later, but there was no trace of the blue eyes. Rain washed out the possibility of locating any tracks the following day. Sergeant House recalled, The movement of the eyes was extremely fast. Another thing that bothered me was that the eyes didn't bob up and down. It was like two lights on a wire moving from one point to another. He was ribbed a good deal while making out this official report on the incident, which was to set the standard of non-reporting from other patrols that encountered strange things in the subsequent months. The commanding officer wanted to believe these men were simply over-imaginative. After all, the desert could produce some eerie effects at night and reports of fantastic creatures in and around restricted areas didn't look good in the official log. You're only hearing the wind, is what he told the men. And those men were staffing the Mars station on the midnight shift. They said that they'd been hearing some unusual sounds, as well as seeing the dark form of something that would walk past the building. A figure which would have to be almost eight feet tall to be seen through the high windows. Something which stepped on and pulverised a glass soda pop bottle in its path. If there were official investigations by the OSI, the men on patrol seldom heard the outcome, unless there was some natural explanation. Thus, they wondered about the rumour circulating that three men on duty at a complex near the bombing range had called in for help. And as that story went, when the patrol arrived, they found the security guards unconscious. The door leading into the building was ripped off its hinges and the sophisticated electronic equipment within had been completely demolished. And this account was told to an air policeman by a member of the patrol who investigated that call for help. Now, the rocket propulsion lab lies on the eastern edge of the Air Force Base, and it utilises a vast area. It contains installations ranging really from gigantic multi-million pound thrust rockets to highly specialised test equipment. And it's here that rockets and similar hardware are tested for the study of propulsion. It's also here that weapon systems are developed and tested. Certain areas are off limits to civilians and signs warn to keep out of the potentially toxic area. 
Now, Air Police Sergeant Barton had an open mind about creatures because his relatives in Missouri had seen and shot at a mammoth Bigfoot-like monster that they called Momo. And though he trusted their accounts of the incident, he also realised the doubt and ridicule they were subjected to when they talked about it. And as a result, no formal report was made to the Air Security Police concerning what happened in the winter of 1974. While Barton was on patrol in the vicinity of the rocket propulsion lab and saw some strange blue lights he saw in the nearby mountains. Assuming the lights to be from a car, Barton drove towards them in order to intercept anyone who was on the base they would be trespassing. The lights vanished when he arrived at the site where he'd last seen them. But now he found his vehicle stuck in the soft desert sand. Walking approximately two miles back to base, the sergeant intercepted a patrol and they radioed for the tow truck. When the truck arrived and everyone returned to the sergeant's vehicle, they found three towed tracks measuring 14 inches long with what appeared to be a clawed digit at the heel. The wind was blowing soft stand and the footprints were filling in rapidly, making any precise identification difficult. Whatever it was that left the tracks had completely circled the truck, as if inspecting it, and then walked off on two legs into the desert. Three weeks later, and also on patrol, Air Sergeant Jones was parked in the region of the rocket site. It was close to midnight. The moon was up, when suddenly Jones noticed a shape moving across the skyline of the nearby hill. While he couldn't estimate its height, the trunk area or girth was described as being immense. The sergeant quickly grabbed his radio, microphone and called head Q. Tell the replacement to hurry up, I might need some help, he said. As Jones looked back towards the hill, two large, luminescent green orbs, like eyes, were moving towards him. He said, they didn't really seem to me like they were bouncing the way a person would when walking. They kind of floated or were moving on an easy glide. Car lights appeared down the road and the patrolman lost no time in getting out of his truck and walking to meet the other vehicle. At that moment, he was extremely grateful that the men had responded so quickly to his call for help. But that wasn't exactly so. The other vehicle had been ordered into the area in response to a report about strange lights being observed in the hills. Yet no unauthorised cars had been located, and now the glowing eyes had disappeared. All that remained in the vicinity were unusual marks on the ground. The two rounded depressions measured six inches and two inches in diameter respectively, and they were foot tracks as well. They were all over the place, Jones said. There were so many of them that I couldn't follow any trail. Barton, who had found tracks around the truck a few weeks earlier, said they were similar to what I'd seen. The other man on patrol didn't get out of the car. He said he didn't want anything to do with it. In our last report tonight, I want to share the experiences of a young man who had an experience with what he believed was a Sasquatch-like creature, and it happened close to an Air Force base. He said, my encounter occurred in August of 72 in Lemon Valley, Nevada. And that's northwest of Reno and US 395. 
Though the area I'm about to describe is now covered with housing developments, he said, back in 72, there were only two developed areas in the valley. Stead Air Force Base was on the west side of the valley and the community of Lemon Valley was on the east side. The encounter took place in the early afternoon in mid-August of 1972. It was bright, sunny and hot, about 85 degrees Fahrenheit at the time. The wind was less than five miles an hour. He said I was 12. I was with my brother, who was 10, and a friend, David, who was also 12. For years, my brother and I had spent the summers exploring the surrounding hills and valleys. We knew all the best places to catch each type of lizard, the best places to look for arrowheads, you know, where the trash dumps from the 1800s were. You'd always find good bottles. And the best place to find old shell casings and such from when the airbase had been active. We didn't often make it out as far as the dry washes, but when we did, we made a point of exploring them because of the unique things, you know, like scorpions and that that you'd find. We just moved from Stead to Lemon Valley side of the valley and David was a new neighbour and he was with us for the first um, and as it turned out the only time. We decided to go all the way out to the closest wash to show it to David and we were angling towards one of the shallow points where it would be easiest to get into. As we walked along, we were searching the ground for horned toads, arrowheads, anything else that might be interesting. We were about 20 feet from the wash when we stumbled across an area with jasper and obsidian chips on the ground. We started looking around in earnest for some arrowheads and some stone tools. My brother and I were seriously competitive when it came to hunting arrowheads. I was facing north, focusing on a piece of jasper that I'd just found, and I had my back to my brother and David when I suddenly got a feeling that something was wrong. I don't know whether I'd heard one of them gasp or just go abruptly quiet, but I knew there was a problem. I had a sense of where my brother was, a few feet behind me, and I turned to look at him. And as I turned clockwise from north to south, I first saw David, about 25 feet away from me, and a couple of feet from the rim of the wash. And then what I perceived to be a giant man, about eight feet from David, only about three feet away from the wash, and then my brother, who was only about five feet behind me. This giant man was all black in colour, and he was about 35 feet from me. He was standing still, facing me with his arms at his side, looking directly at me. David's in shock, rooted to the ground, staring directly at him, with his wide mouth open, and his lower jaw level with his collarbone. My brother was poised to run and looked from the man to me, and then to David in panic. And as soon as I saw the man, I took a step to run also. But I realised David wasn't going anywhere, and we need to help him, if the man tried to do anything. We weren't that far from Reno, and there were a lot of weird people who would just drift through town. A man out of place in the desert is immediately dangerous. I settled my way, and I looked at the man in the eye, waiting for him to indicate what his intentions were. This all took about a second, and at this point, my brothers turned to me and screamed, that's not a man, that's not a man. Not breaking eye contact with the man, I snapped back at him. I said, yeah, it is. And my brother immediately yelled, no, it's not. And I snapped right back. Then what is it? Which shut him up. At that moment, in that situation, it was critically important to me that the man was nothing more than a man. 
I also knew my brother and I could probably get away with that. But David was at risk and I intuitively sensed that it was important to control that fear, both by keeping the man, just a man, in my head and calming my brother. As I focused on him, I recognised that it was not overtly threatening, but he did seem stern and annoyed. He didn't move a muscle, he didn't make a sound. From his manner, I gathered that he wasn't threatening us, but he was determining if we were a threat to him. That, we just disturbed him, I think, and he just wanted us to go away and leave us alone. My brother and I would have been happy to oblige, but David was still standing like a statue, and we weren't leaving him behind. So we all just stood there and stared at each other. I could see the man from the lower shins up, and this is where it gets really strange. He was at least eight and a half feet tall, three and a half feet to four feet broad at the shoulder, and he had a comparatively narrow waist. His arms hung down to the top of his knees. Not only was this man huge and slightly disproportionate, but in the middle of the afternoon, in the middle of August, he's wearing a black down ski parka with a peaked hood up, matching black down ski pants and black gloves. Now, down ski wear was a brand new fad back then and everybody in Reno had them. I thought to myself that it was strange that he had this brand new ski outfit on, let alone that it fit his frame. I thought he must have stolen it. I think I'd already subconsciously assumed this guy was a hobo because we were at least a mile from the nearest road and there wasn't a vehicle in sight. And I couldn't think of a good reason for him to have apparently been hiding in the wash. As I thought about it, the hobo assumption made sense. The ski suit was probably the only thing he had to wear, I told myself. And at night, sleeping in the desert, he'd probably get a bit chilly. Um, and there was even a little dirt in places on it, indicating he'd been lying on the ground. The man's bearing, though, didn't come across the way a homeless person's would. He stood tall, with his shoulders back and relaxed. His posture indicated a sense of self-worth that was almost regal, and his gaze didn't flinch. As an afterthought, there was nothing about his eyes to give me the impression that he lacked intelligence. Even under the ski suit, you could tell he had a massively muscled upper body and the ratio of shoulders to waist were those of a world-class athlete. For a moment, I considered that I was looking at fur-covered muscle and immediately killed that thought. Then I started to look a little closer. And this is when he broke eye contact. He turned he stepped down into the wash at the shallow point where he was standing and he walked away down the wash without looking back. And this was a little strange in retrospect because there was absolutely no indication in body language or eye movement to let us know that he decided our encounter was over. He simply turned and left without acknowledgement. Within a couple of steps, he disappeared around a slight curve in the wall of the wash as it cut through the next finger of the ridge. We just stood looking at each other for maybe 45 seconds. I didn't move for a couple of seconds after he disappeared, waiting to give him time to go before moving to check on David. 
I've never seen anybody so afraid that they were frozen on the spot before and I was genuinely concerned about him. As I walked up to David, looking cautiously down the wash as I got a better angle on it, my brother followed me and said in a voice that seemed to beg me to believe him, that wasn't a man. Standing in front of David, I looked him in the eye and I said, yes, it was. It was a big, dark-skinned hobo. And that ended the discussion. I asked David if he was okay, and he just shook his head and he didn't say anything. My brother moved up the edge of the wash to see as far down as he could, and I asked if he could see the guy. He couldn't, and we started to leave, and curiosity got the better of us, and my brother asked, what do you think he was doing down there? And I thought about it for a second, and I decided I wanted to know. So we walked along the edge of the wash for a 100 yards or so, just to make sure he wasn't hiding close enough to get us. The guy wasn't carrying anything, and I was worried that we'd find his camp, you know, like we'd walk into him and his belongings. We walked back down the shallow spot in the wash, and we jumped down into it. And I briefly recognised that the man had simply stepped down the three feet that I'd had to jump, but I didn't say anything. We walked both up and down the wash, a hundred feet or so, looking for a campsite. We didn't find one. No fire pit, no wrappers, no trash, no paraphernalia, no signs that a human had been camping there. The floor of the wash was granite sand, so there really weren't any footprints that I could recognise or indicate. We did find a spot where someone had taken pieces of tumbleweed and sticker brush and embedded them into the wall of the wash. And tumbleweed and pieces of bush were also arranged on the floor of the wash at the same spot. Those embedded in the wall of the wash were arranged in a tall kind of half oval with a peak about four and a half feet high. Those on the floor of the wash were also arranged in a half oval that joined the first. And it was about the right size for a guy to sit cross-legged in with his back against the wall of the wash. At that time, I'd never heard of Bigfoot. So it wasn't even an option for me to consider within the framework of the encounter. And even though several things about the encounter were strange, I convinced myself that we'd been confronted by a man, an eight-foot man, because what else could it have been? I have no doubt the boy's encounter did not happen with an ordinary man. After my experience in 1982, I was constantly told that what I saw was a hobo, a tramp, a homeless man, down on his luck, living in a country park in England. Hundreds of witnesses are told the same thing constantly. I think it's much easier for doubting members of the public to believe that you saw a human as to accept the alternative kind of opens a door to a world they didn't want to enter. A little thing like that is hard to overcome. And when you're a witness, you're supposed to have all of the answers. But honestly, after 40 years of taking witness reports and speaking to over 4,000 people, I have yet to meet a witness who asked for their encounter. Each and every one of them just going about their daily business when they were confronted by an impossible sight. Could you? be the next potential witness. 
Thank you so much for joining me. And I'll be back at the same time and day next week with more personal reports of impossible creatures. Thank you to Bobby Shaw and all of the work that she did. Please consider subscribing, following or sharing this channel with your friends and family. Until next time, good night everyone. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.